This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, hi and good morning. I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden, all set to welcome the lady of the hour, our, our host, Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, Charlie. Thank you, Frankie. Good morning to you. You sound pretty upbeat this morning. Well, I am. I just learned that this is Garden Week. Have you got any info on that? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. Garden Days is a program of the Canadian Garden Council. So it's Canada's countrywide celebration of our garden culture and the vital role of gardens and gardening in our communities and our lives. It's an opportunity for Canadians to enjoy their own garden, visit or take part in their favourite garden experience, get inspired at their local garden centre or travel to a nearby destination to enjoy their favourite gardens. So Garden Day's objective is to draw attention to our garden landscape, history, and innovations, and to underscore the importance of public and private gardens. And boy, this year is especially important, since so many of us are discovering our inner gardener. Oh, boy, you're right there, huh? (laughs) How can uh, folks get more information on that? So just Google Garden Week, and you'll find all the information. But you'd better hurry. Yeah, this is the last day, and there are lots of prizes to be won for telling your garden story. Uh, speaking uh, of stories about property, how are things coming <laughs> on your property there in Prince Edward oh, County? Wow. Well, you know, I've given you a little background, and you've seen it. It's a it's a big, empty property. Uh, of course, now it's not so empty. I've started a conservation area for killdeer baby, well, killdeer nests. I've got toads and frogs and and even monarch butterfly larvae eating my milkweed. So it's a pretty, it's a happening place. But uh, starting uh, early next week, uh, I've got all kinds of contractors set up to do all kinds of work. So we're going to start doing a proper grade. We're going to start, believe it or not, with some hardscaping, patios, fire pit, um, you know, front walkway. We've got, I've got a big order of trees coming in. So we're going to get those planted. And wow, it's like, it's a big, big project. It's, I find it quite overwhelming. I've never worked on such a big blank slate before, so it's quite it's quite something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, a little stress, a little stress. Yeah, huh? just a bit. I I can tell you I have lost some sleep. <laughs> How's your gorgeous garden <laughs> and pond coming along? Well, uh I want to verge away from plants and gardening and flowers of which we have plenty because surely you're not buying like crazy. But our main problem we're dealing with chipmunks mm. they're in the mm. house and trying to get rid of them you oh god well uh, just let me say one morning this past week uh shirley get up and uh, she went out into the dining room and and there was a, a chipmunk <laughs> sitting in her chair and god you should have heard the screams going on and we've we got one here this morning and he's hiding under the dresser oh, no. cabinet. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we'll deal with that problem. I know that that's going to come up in a question uh, coming up. But uh, before we get on to the emails, let me remind folks who may be tuning in for the first time, this show is recorded, so we'll be dealing with emails only, no phone calls, right? 
Yeah, that's right. And and always remember, for next week's show, we need more email questions. So I'd love to hear from you. Okay, just drop a Charlie a note addressed to C. Dobbin. That's D O B B I N at mzmedia.com. Okay. Uh, all right. Are we all set for a fun morning of lots of tough questions and great answers, Mr. P? Let's get her done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Sounds like you're pretty wound up this morning. Back in a moment here on Zuma Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, Forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, okay, Charlie, let's get to those many emails you've got in your hand there. Uh, here's one from Susan McGrath. She says, I listen to your show every week. Your knowledge is incredible. Well, that's nice to start out with a nice compliment like that. Uh, she says, I planted a Wolf River and a Honeycrisp apple tree six years ago and yet to see a blossom. I planted many trees and shrubs in my lifetime, but I would have to say this has me stumped. It gets the dormant oil treatment each spring. Now, this spring and last. I did not fertilize it. They were both healthy and had sand in the base of the hole and a mix of compost and regular dirt when planted. I would really like to enjoy a Wolf River apple pie sooner than later. They're located in my garden, which was many years ago a horse stall. They're perhaps a hundred feet from each other, fenced to keep the deer out. Any suggestions? Greatly appreciate that from Susie, who is writing in from Manitoulin Island. Yeah, so this is a great uh, question. And I am, I know a lot of stuff, but I'm not an apple expert. So I, I called on my friend Colin Campbell of Campbell's Orchard, which is just, uh, you know, but a kilometer from here. And, and Frank, you might remember Colin. He came in and into the studio and, and did a, a radio show with us and brought apples for us to do some tastings. So I called Colin yesterday and I, I said, you know, what do you think? And I think he's he's right on with his answer. He said, you know what? I think those trees are just too happy. She has planted them over what used to be a horse stall. So she has planted them in a situation where they have an you know incredible soil, obviously. And she's taking good, really good care of them with her dormant spray, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when trees are too happy, you get a lot of leaves. When trees are stressed you get flowers. And so those apples are nice and green, but they're not showing any apples. Well, commercial growers stress their trees by spraying. Uh, it's actually, a, it's a it's a chemical that's very similar to 2,4-D that we used to put on dandelions. Um, but back before the invention of all these chemicals, grow, uh, orchardists used to beat their apple trees with chains. Yep, that's what, uh, that's what Colin suggested to Susie. You get out there with a chain and you beat those trees. Oh, for God. I know. <laughs> it sounds crazy. It sounds oh, absolutely nuts. But she needs to stress the trees in order to get them to flower. So beating them with chains, I was like, Colin, wouldn't you just break the bark and stuff? He goes, 
Doesn't matter. It stresses them. You just got to stress them. Uh, (laughs) Another suggestion, he said, is you could consider root pruning because that can be stressful as well. And that's when I remembered way back when I went to university, when we were studying orchards, uh, we were taught not to beat the trees with chains, but to beat the trees with uh, like a broomstick handle, uh, preferably wrapped in like rags because you didn't want to break the bark, but you do want to stress the tree. So kind of bruise bruise them a little bit. Exactly. So go out there and beat your trees up, and they are likely to flower, believe it or not. And the only other thing that, that <laughs> Colin said is, you know, Manitoulin Island is pretty far north, so there's always a possibility that the flower buds are forming, but uh, a late frost is killing the flower buds. So Susie would know for sure whether that's happened, because uh, that is possible because of her, her northerly location. But otherwise, stress them. There's, that's the best well, advice. <laughs> Susie McGrath up there in Manitoulin Island. I can't wait to hear back from you. We'll have to refer to her as the masochistic apple grower. <laughs> you wait. Out there it, beating the trees. It does work. I mean, it's crazy, but it works. Yeah, it works. Okay. My favorite apple is the apple or the honey crisp. Yeah, that's right. I've never heard of that Wolf River apple. I have to look that one up. No, but she's got those honey crisps growing, so good for her. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's a note from... Alice M- uh, McTavish, I recall a recipe for aiding the growth of tomatoes given on a past show in an inverted plastic bottle with a bottom cut off next to the plant, uh, Epsom salts, dehydrated uh, milk and water. Do you recommend this practice? And if so, what are the quantities and how often? This is a great time to pass along your tips uh, on your website, Charlie. That's right. Well, it's funny because every week we're getting this question. Uh, so, yes, go to my website, charliedobbin.com. Go to the tab that says tips. And under tips, you're going to see all kinds of very cool tips that different listeners have shared with us over the years. And this one about the tomatoes is from our friend Warner in Tilsonburg. And it's every week. So how often is every week uh, you scoop two teaspoons of skim milk, powder and one teaspoon of Epsom salts into the open bottle, then run water into the bottle until all the powder has dissolved. And he swears by this. And I have never tried it in terms of do I recommend it, but we've certainly heard anecdotally from many listeners that it works really well. Okay. Uh, Next question from Diana Bradley. And uh, she says, I have a standard pink peony and my children would like one for their gardens. When's the best time to split a peony? I'd assume after blooming, but it is best in the spring or late in the fall. What do you say? Okay, so Diana, Diana, this is a kind of a tricky question because she uses the word standard mm-hmm. pink peony. So I don't know whether she means the word standard like just a regular pink peony or she means like we use the term standard to refer to a plant that is growing on a stem, a single stem. And there are um, woody uh, well, tree, they're called tree peonies. So if what Diana has is a tree peony, you cannot split that. Your kids have to go out and buy their own. If what you're talking about is just a regular pink peony, which is a herbaceous peony, the kind that dies down and disappears under the soil every winter and then comes up every spring, that you can split, but wait till the fall. And what you do in the fall, of course, is uh, you'll use a good digging fork. You'll dig the whole big tuber up out. It'll be a big mass. Uh, and you let it sit out, out in the sun for a couple hours before you do anything. And then with a sharp shovel or some sharp knives, you cut, cut it up kind of like a potato because peonies, similar to potatoes, have eyes. So you want to make sure that each of your kid gets a chunk of the root 
with at least a couple of eyes on it, and then they take it home and plant it. And the biggest uh, thing people do wrong with peonies is they plant too deep. So make sure that when those tubers are replanted, they go in right at the surface of the soil or slightly below, like half an inch, a centimeter below soil level, not down deep uh, if you want flowers next year. Okay. Uh, We're approaching our next break here, but let me take that moment to remind folks that we certainly would appreciate an email from you, a little story along with uh, some of your questions too. Uh, We like to hear about successes in the garden. So send along a, a question or a comment to Charlie Dobbin, and her address is c.dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. And uh, we take that break now, and then we'll come back and have a chat with the, well, via emails, with more of our listeners here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I've got a letter here, actually uh, an email from uh, a chap who helps Shirley out on the farm here, uh, Mike Hill, who says, we kept plants called Diplodenia over the winter. Two did poorly, and the others are producing leaves, but no flowers. Hmm. Oh, and he adds, how do I stop squirrels and chipmunks from digging in my container garden? I'll listen very closely. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a tough one. The, well, actually, okay, when you think about the, the little critters digging and, and getting into your, your pots, particularly your container gardens, I always think of two things. One is you can stop them by physically putting a barrier. Uh, one of my favorite barriers is when I'm trimming my roses in the spring, I have all these chunks of rose cane that are just covered in thorns but have no leaves and I'll lay those on the surface of the soil uh, in my pots and of course when a squirrel or a chipmunk jumps up and tries to dig they run into those rose canes and they quickly jump out so that can be a, like a physical way you know barrier to keep them out and then the other one is to consider uh, using a spray product something that you spray on the plants that the uh, animals don't like the smell of and there's something called plant skid. I know I, I um, P-L-A-N-T, like plant, and then S-K I think Y-D-D, it's I believe it is. Oh, is it? Thank you. Yeah, I, oh, there it is. Y-D-D.com. So plant skid, plant S-K-Y-D-D.com. Check that out. That is a product out of Norway that's specifically designed to keep all kinds of mammals from getting into your gardens, whether it's, well, it started, it was all about uh, keeping out the, uh, the elk from the, the farms. Mm-hmm. And uh, it works on elk and apparently works on deer and it apparently works on squirrels and raccoons and chipmunks. And you spray and it's a long lasting, completely organic spray. So consider that as well, Mike. I'll use that on, on Shirley's chair then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on the doors, wherever they're getting yeah. in, spray, spray it on the whole house. <laughs> so, but the, so the diplodenia question, though. So diplodenia is a tropical plant commonly called rock trumpet. Uh, it is, you know, it's native to the southern states, Mexico area. So bottom line is you've got to give it the conditions where that it naturally grows in. So in the summer, you want it lot, very hot, 
very sunny, uh, well-drained soil. Do fertilize now for sure uh, and cut back any dead growth or spindly growth uh, at the same time. Um, over the winter, it's always a challenge to keep these things going and keeping them well and healthy. Most people will just kind of put them into semi-dormancy for the winter, so they'll stop watering. They'll put them in a cool location. It doesn't have to be a dark location, but it does need to be very cool, like under 10 degrees, like between sort of six, seven, eight degrees Celsius or, you know, 48, 50 Fahrenheit uh, for the winter, only watering every six or eight or 10 weeks and just let it be, let it go dormant. And then you cut it all back in the spring, bring it into the sun and it should all pop back because the root will stay alive through that process. Okay. Right. Um, I'm wondering if you can hear this. No, no, I've got, I've got to get a bell. I've got to get a bell for gosh sakes. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, that that is supposed to be for Jim Meyer in Kitchener, who says he's the first time <laughs> caller, and they scratch at an emailer. But he's <laughs> Jim says great job getting the show done despite the challenges of the times, and has an interesting comment here. For the last forty years, I used cocoa shell mulch on my flower beds. Now it smells great. And it keeps a rich brown color all season. Once it's in place and watered down, it forms a concrete-like barrier against weeds, yet allows rain to get through uh, uh, unhindered. Rabbits hate the stuff, as do most other pests. It was always readily available at all local garden centers. I do realize that large quantities, if eaten, are not the greatest for dogs, but I'm not uh, yet to see a dog that actually likes to eat the stuff. <laughs> now for the question. Why can I no longer find cocoa mulch, cocoa hole mulch, anywhere in southern Ontario? Garden centers don't have any answer. Other than that, they just can't find a supplier. So what do you know about that stuff? <laughs> well, what I know about that stuff, cocoa bean or cocoa hull mulch uh, is a byproduct of the chocolate industry. Okay, so when they make chocolate, they, they peel the, the cocoa beans and the, the uh, shells or hulls are left over. And rather than just, you know, throwing it out in the compost, it, it was realized that it makes kind of a beautiful mulch for the garden. It does smell amazing. It also does get very full of fungus. If it's in any kind of shade where it stays constantly moist, it becomes totally gray and fuzzy. So it's not very pretty then. Um, and back way back in my white rose days, we used to always have it. We never had much and you only had it around Easter. So it was an early spring product and then it was gone. Uh, just a really quick uh, search on the web in Ontario. In Oakville, Van Beek's Landscape Supply might have it. Uh, in Peterborough, there's a landscape supply called Peterborough Landscape Supply might have it. Uh, and, and it, like I say, it was, it was never something that you could have for very long. It was a short term, early spring, limited product and, um, and yeah, and very specific and poisonous to dogs. So something to keep in mind. Dogs and chocolate don't mix. Okay. Uh, here's that's, oh, that's what I can tell we're you. We're going international one more time here over to Bloomfield, New York, from uh, Dave Lasher, this note. He says, I should have sent this in last week since uh, the show had lots of questions, re-trees. Charlie, I'm wondering, I have several sugar maples on my property in the country, and none have ever turned that beautiful red in the fall. My neighbors seem to have some of that do show brilliant color, where mine are usually just yellow or drab, rusty orange. Is there anything, it's like something in the soil that would make the difference? Hmm. Dave Lasher. This is a good question because 
my um, research into this, sugar maples are very consistent in terms of having some fall color. It can be anything from a bright yellow at one end of the spectrum to a burnt orange at the other end, but generally they do something. Now, he said drab, rusty orange, which doesn't sound very nice. Um, what I would do is two things. I would do a soil test around that tree. So uh, you'll have, if you Google in your area, you'll have some soil testing labs and you'll on their website, find out how to take a proper soil sample to send in for a soil test. So you could have something going on with the pH. I guess, uh, are there other plants in the area that you see are not performing the way you would expect them to? So so I, I first always sort of suspect the soil. But the other thing I suspected is, you know, there are so many kinds of maples out there, and it's very hard to tell them apart. <laughs> they, to the untrained eye, all maples look the same. So the other thing would be to, uh, to get, you could send me, if you want to take a couple of pictures of the leaves, like take a leaf uh, with the stem attached, the petiole attached, and lay it on a white piece of paper and take a picture and send it to me. Send So I can really see, it's it's really by the leaf that we tell the difference between the maples. And it might be, it might be that you don't have, a, you think you have a sugar maple, but maybe it's a Norway maple because Norway maples do not get good fall color and of course become big trees and their leaves are very similar to sugar maples. Huh, okay. Hopefully you'll get a, a note and a picture along the mail very shortly. Yeah. Uh, next note here, uh, Charlie is from Frank Halo, he says, oh, hi, Charlie, and I enjoy your show on 740 AM. My question is, I have a few bumpy areas in my lawn, approximately 1,000 square feet. I've watched some YouTube videos that say you should use a fine sand to smooth out the lawn. However, most of these videos are from the southern states, and I'm wondering if sand will work in our northern climate without harming our types of grass here. He's in the Port Hope area just down the road from you. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So this is a really good question. I, I think a lot of people uh, struggle with this because they want their lawns to be smooth. They want to be able to walk on the lawn in bare feet or, you know, thin sandals and just feel like it's, you know, it's just, it's easy. You know, it's just like a beautiful, smooth, uh, you know, landscape. Uh, and, and traditionally what people did is they pulled out the big roller or they rented the big roller and they went out and rolled their lawns. And my first thing is do not roll your lawn. Rolling your lawn will not smooth it out. It will compact the soil and it will make the, the, the actual turf, uh, plants very, very unhappy. So don't go rolling. Uh, instead, and, and he's right about the sand. Sand is a very traditional southern states. Uh, kind of amendment to the lawns. So instead, what we do here is, uh, preferably in the spring or fall, like it's a bit warm to do this now, uh, being as we're into the middle of June, but I would, um, if you could do this in the fall for sure, do a short cut on your lawn. So we are cutting our lawns and should be cutting our lawns at the three-inch height for the summer because that taller grass blade will sh uh, shade the soil below. It'll help keep moisture in the soil. It'll help keep the grass happy. But just when you get we get into some cooler weather in the fall, so late August, early September, do a short cut. Then get out your rake, do any dethatching, get out any of the dead stuff that's around. Um, at the same time, if you wanted to bring in or hire somebody to aerate your lawn, so it's the core aerating with the core little – 
cores of soil are pulled up out of the lawn. And at that point, once you've aerated and raked or dethatched and cut it short, now you're going to top dress. And it's because you've cut it short, you're going to be able to see where the dips and valleys are. So you're going to get a good quality topsoil. It could be a triple mix. It could be a lawn top dressing. And you're going to go out there and you're going to shovel by shovel, put that that top dressing where your dips are. No more than a half an inch at a time, because otherwise you'll suffocate the grass that's growing there. You'll rake it in smooth. And of course, the grass will continue to grow up through. And this is not a one-time solution. You'll have to do this spring and fall, probably, you know, for a couple of years even, or maybe, honestly, you should probably just do it forever and ever and ever. But for the first little while, do it every spring and fall, and then plan to do it at least annually to keep your lawn as smooth as possible, keep the grass seeds as happy as possible, and have uh, have the best looking lawn. All right? Okay. Yep. Um, I'm keeping an eye on that clock. I know we've got a couple of minutes remaining in this segment. So rather than go to a question, it might be a little too long. How about giving a plug to I, something I think is really neat? Uh, Troy, New York has uh, the popular Hidden Garden Tour uh, on today. It's a it's their twenty first year. And have you got that information at hand, Charlie? Okay, so hold on. So Troy, New York is a, apparently like a really sweet little charming town. And they have, for 21 years, had a hidden garden tour that people paid money to go and see some beautiful fairly small, but really pretty, roughly 20 by 30 foot gardens, but all, you know, very nicely um, uh, gardened. And of course, all very different in terms of the style of gardening. Well, this year, I mean, there's a lot of pride in Troy, New York, and they want to showcase their gardens. So what they've done is they, they realized this a few months ago and started putting together a virtual tour. So the virtual tour is 28 gardens captured in 360 degrees, uh, interactive photographs, but you can explore this this tour via computer or a phone, you know, mobile device. There are 12 gardeners who recorded personal video messages, which are embedded in their in the stop when you're in their garden at the hiddengardentour.com site. Um, it's it, it looks uh, there are a few pictures on the web, and it just looks really nice. If you've got an interactive screen, uh, the 3D photos will move as your device moves. So. They're really good virtual reality effects have been put together with this uh, this presentation. So pretty cool idea. Um, it is, of course, accessible 24 hours a day for the next month. And rain or shine, you can you can go and attend that garden tour. OK, Charlie. So the uh, popular hidden garden tour, Troy, New York, um, it's on right now. Maybe you can give that uh, website to them once more time. Uh, yes, and it's gorgeous. It has been uploaded. It's a ton of fun. So yeah, it's very, very simple. HiddenGardenTour.com. Okay, and we're going to be right back here on The Garden Show from Zuma Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, uh, Charlie, I got a nice note here from June and Bill Hill. Uh, say, uh, loved your advice since meeting you at the White Rose Days. Huh? We keep some of their catalogs for reference. Good stuff. We're in Pickering near Rouge Park and uh, have five almost two meter tall cedars, perhaps five years on site. Now, we wrap them each fall in burlap and remove it in late April. 
Last year, we had some brown patches, but this year, and I'm not sure I understand this phrase, but they look like an old retired farm tractor between 60 and 75% brown patches. They were wrapped fairly tight last time. They're in a north-south arrangement open to the west wind. If I knew how, I'd send you a picture. Sorry. And that's from June and Bill Hill. Uh, okay. So you know what I think he means? He means it looks like a rusty old tractor. Like they're just, you know how cedars look rusty when they turn brown. Oh, right. Um, all right. So this is a very interesting and good question. Wrapping cedars is not necessary. Cedars are hardy plants. Uh, they are not going to die in the, in the winter. They are certainly, um, tough enough to withstand anything our winters can throw at them except the snow load or ice load that sometimes happens in the winter. So if that's one of your concerns and why you've been wrapping those cedars is because of snow. You know what happens when we get a big snowfall and then the cedar peels open. It looks like a big, like a, a you know, a fountain or something. Uh, better to use string, like twine, even fishing line in the fall. And you spiral the, the, the um, whatever you're using, cord, starting at the bottom, around the cedars, all the way up, and then all the way down again. And you do that, not tight, but loose, you know, somewhat loosely, but enough just to hold the upright branches in an upright position. Um, the problem with wrapping is you can cause more, like you can cause more problems than you solve. When uh, people wrap anything, any of the um, uh, evergreens, it's just if they wrap too tight, what happens is, is that cold air at night, like on a cold January night when it goes to 10 below zero, that cold air can get trapped inside the burlap wrap tree. And then in the morning, the sun comes up. And if there's very little wind, we just have that cold sitting there. And, and the tree ends up suffering with the warm on the outside and cold on the inside. Uh, and it's not a, a happy thing. And that's likely what's happened there. So, um, you will see evergreens wrapped along highways, for example. And the reason they do that is because of salt damage. When they, when we worry about salt spray coming off the roads, particularly around um, roads with you know high-speed traffic, the salt gets thrown up into the air. The prevailing west and northwest wind will carry that salty liquid onto evergreens and cause them to turn yellow. But it doesn't sound like that's what's going on at, at the Hill residence. I think they were probably just wrapping to try and, you know, keep the plants safe. And what they've ended up doing is uh, is actually perhaps doing more damage than, than anything else. So trim out the brown that you see there. Uh, fertilize those trees. I would trim the tops down by a foot or so, and that will encourage some more side growth and some filling in of where some of the um, the dead stuff is. And don't use burlap to wrap anymore. Just And there are YouTube videos to show you how to do the twine thing if you're interested in tying up the cedars, but that's what I would do. Okay, thank you very much to uh, June and Bill for that note. Here's one from Sally Stanley. She says, uh, Dear Charlie, I'm a big fan of yours and listen to your show regularly. Oh, we appreciate that. <laughs> and I have reached out to you for advice a couple of times already, and you've always been a great help. Now, this year, we've noticed that our beautiful row of purple doyuk no, beech trees. They're called diwick. 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 Okay. Yep. Spelled D-A-W-Y-C-K. <laughs> yep. Beech tree. Uh, they're being covered with white specks on the leaves. And we're not sure what it is or how to treat this infestation. I'm concerned that it may be a serious problem and would very much appreciate your advice and counsel how to best uh, uh, fix this. Mm -hmm. Sally. 
Yes, and Sally sent some photographs. And uh, thank you for that, because that certainly clarifies better what's going on. Two different insects could be doing that. There's something, I think everybody's heard of aphids, right? Aphids are small insects that suck uh, liquids out of plants. And you'll typically find aphids concentrated on the newest growth. So on the tips of any plant, you'll, you can find aphids on anything, trees, shrubs, flowers, anything. There are aphids that are called woolly aphids and woolly aphids have this furry, well, not so much furry, more of a waxy white fuzzy coating on them. Um, if that, those are woolly aphids, then you should be able to get out your hose, uh, crank your hose up with a strong stream of water and try and blow those insects off the trees. Be careful you don't blow them onto something else, but, um, but you can typically blow aphids off just with water. See if that works. If it doesn't, there is another insect that looks an awful lot like a woolly aphid and they are found on beach and they're called scale insects. They can be treated with horticultural oil. Uh, hot summer time is not always the best time, but the thing is, is that beach trees who start with an infestation like scale, particularly, uh, you can end up with a tree being weakened by the scale. And then there's this horrible disease called beech bark disease, which will move into the tree and ultimately kill the tree. So start with some water, see how that goes. If that doesn't solve your problem or you're still very concerned, time to call a certified arborist to come and look and follow the advice of the arborist. They will spray for you if you wish, uh, but they could, can certainly identify for sure what it is that's infesting your beaches and you do not want to lose those because those are too beautiful of trees. And you mentioned you've got a, you know, a nice row of them. So the, you know, you paid a lot of money for those trees. They're gorgeous in your garden. Don't lose them. Look after them. Hire a certified arborist as required. Okay. Just a reminder, my friends, that you are tuned to AM740 Zoomer Radio and in downtown Toronto, of course, 96.7 FM. And uh, this is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, Master Gardener. We shall return with more questions, emails from our listeners. And uh, stay tuned. We're coming back shortly. Well, okay, Charlie Dobbin uh, set to answer a question here from Helen Golick from Laurel, Ontario. Uh, I have a hydrangea, which is about 10 years old. Not sure of the name, but it has large white round flowers. Now, this year and last spring, I've seen the leaves fused together like a football. I uh, googled the cause. It looks like leaf tear. In the fall, should I cut the plant down just a foot or so? I usually leave the plant as is over the winter as the white flowers turn brown and they look attractive. Or should I prune it back next spring? I've cut off the damaged leaves and put them in a bucket of soap and soapy water and then disposed of them. Also, the plant's very big and there's no growth in the center. Could could it be it needs dividing? Take care and cheers, Helena from Laurel, Ontario. Yep, this is a problem that's happening all over Ontario right now. And we actually had a question last week on this exact same um, subject from Lee and Bruce Carter. So it's probably an Annabelle hydrangea. Uh, I agree, I would not cut it down in the fall because I think it's beautiful to leave those flowers up all winter. However, in the spring, you have to cut it down very hard, down to mm, four inches, 10 centimeters, like we're talking, cut it right down. Dispose of everything you cut off uh, because the, the, the insect uh, could be in that, um, the stems that you're cutting off, clean up 
all the debris at the base, so if there's any leaves or or any bits and pieces around on the soil surface, clean it all up. Um, those leaf tiers are a problem, and the cutting off was a good idea. The other thing, if you have time and and you want to, you can actually open those those um, little stitched together pockets, leaf pockets up, and and you'll find inside a little insect, and you can squish that insect and then just leave the leaves as they are and enjoy the flowers that will come. The cutting off as you did just means you'll have fewer flowers. Now, you mentioned at the end that there's very, very little growth in the center and should it be that it needs dividing. So this is a shrub. We don't usually divide shrubs. If you cut it back as hard as I said, like right down to four inches or 10 centimeters, that should create a, a certain amount of denseness next year. So it shouldn't look empty in the center. If it's just too old and it's just too much dead wood in the center, consider taking some cuttings. Uh, very, very easy to grow this plant from cuttings. So for four inch, roughly five inch, uh, snips off the tips, uh, get them into some moist soil, uh, burying, uh, you know, remove leaves, bury the nodes, very easy to get um, some roots and start again. Start some, your own Annabelles again or go to the garden center and buy another one. Plants do get too old and too big and too tired and sometimes do need to be replaced. So don't hesitate to do that if you need to. Okay. Uh, note here from Carol Woms. She says, uh, we received a slip five to seven years ago and have grown into this. I presume she sent you a picture here. The leaves are thin and only two flowers this year. Now, last year we had many flowers. In the winter, it sits in an east window and outside for the summer under a birch tree. Pictures that I've seen, the leaves are two to four inches wide. I know they like to be root-bound, and should we be repotting it? And she includes her phone number, which has an area code that indicates to me it might be from the Kitchener area, mm -hmm. in case that might make a difference to your answer, Charlie. Okay, so the subject of this email is orchid cactus. So that's what she's asking about. It's a, An orchid cactus is a kind of orchid that looks like a cactus. And similar to, you know, all the orchids, so many of the orchids people are growing, the one called moth orchid is very, very uh, common right now, the phalaenopsis. These orchids are native to tropical rainforests and they naturally grow on trees. So that refers to the, the root bound part of it is because they don't really have much in the way of roots. They are, they are naturally evolved to, to stay up in the trees and they like the high humidity. They don't want direct sunlight. Uh, they do, they like a really bright spot, but they don't, they, they'll burn if they get too much hot afternoon sun. So, so uh, the whole question here is how to make it be the happiest plant in the world. If you're going to repot it, wait at least a month until after it has stopped blooming. Then do not water once you've repotted it for at least a week after that repotting. And when you do repot, the best soil to use is one that's going to hold moisture, but drain very quickly. So you're going to take a regular potting soil. You're going to add bark chips to it. You're going to add perlite or pumice, something very granular that's going to help with both water retention, but very good drainage. So a clay pot, of course, and, um, and, and it sounds fine. The east window sounds perfect outside under a birch sounds perfect. All of that sounds good. Um, I did learn as well, though, the winter, how you keep it in the winter will have some impact on the blooms because it should bloom between April and June. See if you can fulfill what it wants in the winter, and that is a cool room, 40 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So what's that? 7 to 10 degrees Celsius. So a cool room, 
for eight to 10 weeks, no water at that time, but still a bright spot. So not a dark basement, but just a, a room in your house that has, you can allow it to be cool enough and bright enough and, and ignore the plant. Too much care of these plants. So many of the, the, the cactus, even the, the orchids in general, too much care it kills them. So ignore it, enjoy it, but don't, don't fuss about it. Let it, let it be on its own a little more. All right. righty. Uh, I have a note here from Brian and Bernice O'Neill. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Listen to and enjoy your show a great deal. Now, last year, use the Epsom salts and skim milk powder remedy for tomato rot. It works like a charm, but have forgotten when we start to use this magic potion. <laughs> They're calling in or writing in from Lindsay. I love it. Magic potion. Oh boy. I hope Warner's yeah. listening. He is, he's the wizard. So go to charliedobbin.com. Look for the tips tab. You'll get the uh, recipe there. When do we start? We start to use it as soon as we plant those tomatoes. <clears throat> get the tomatoes on the ground, set up those, those, uh, empty water bottles and weekly give the drench or the soak with the Epsom salts and skim milk powder and water. Okay, a uh, note from Woodjack Schmidt, I believe it is. Um, hi, Charlie. I'm so happy to know you're still helping us stumbling gardeners. <laughs> they write, I'm writing on behalf of a friend and neighbor. Her cottage garden has a very large rhododendron plant that looks very healthy, but uh, we're surprised it has not yet flowered. It's been at this same spot for five to six years, grows lovely new growth, but no blossom. It's in a fairly open, sunny area of her garden although some sizable evergreens are close by, and they've enclosed a photo for you. Yeah, and it does look healthy. And, okay, so remember with rhododendrons, the blooms, the, the flower buds are formed in the fall. So it's very obvious as winter is coming that there are big fat buds on the tips of the, of the rhododendrons, which will bloom the following spring. If you're not seeing that happen, which that seems to be the case, consider some rhododendron food, very specific fertilizer for rhododendrons, even, um, and it looks happy. All those evergreens around it are perfect because they're helping to acidify the soil. Rhododendrons need a low pH in their soil and this plant looks great, but uh, I think fertilizer might make a difference. So get a hold of some of that and follow the instructions. I can't believe it, Charlie, but we're fresh out of racetrack. Wow. No. Wow is right. Thank you, <laughs> Frank. I, I miss you. I miss your smiling face. Yeah, me too. All me too. right. Thanks again, Frankie Proctor. Thank you, Joel. Couldn't do this without you. And thanks for all these emails. Keep them coming. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.